for checking out this episode of the Jambase podcast. I'm Andy Kahn, and Jambase is a partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. In this episode, we welcome back Umphreys McGee guitarist Brendan Bayless. I recently talked to Brendan about the band's upcoming new album, Asking for a Friend, which comes out on July 1st. That interview is coming up shortly. First, let's hear from the sponsor of this episode. This episode is sponsored by Section 119. Section 119 offers a diverse range of quality Grateful Dead, Donut Pattern, David Bowie, Pink Floyd, and other music-related apparel. In honor of the 50th anniversary of the Grateful Dead's historic Europe 72 tour, Jambase is taking a retrospective look back at each of 22 performances that took place between April 7th and May 26th. The series launched in partnership with Section 119. Celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Grateful Dead 72 European Tour with Section 119's limited edition hoodies. Section 119 dug deep into the archive of the Grateful Dead to build 22 unique hoodies with the actual amazing artwork from each show of the tour. Section 119 is only offering 72 pieces inspired by each show. Premium quality hoodies that are available for a limited time. 50 days, 22 shows. Relive the long, strange, amazing trip it must have been. England to Denmark, West Germany, Paris, France, Amsterdam, and then heading back to England to wrap up the tour. Experience the music in every hoodie. Visit Section 119 at section119.com. That's S-E-C-T-I-O-N. 119.com to explore their full Grateful Dead 72 European Tour limited edition hoodies collection. All right, I'm going to try and keep this intro short because Brennan and I spoke for quite a while when we connected a few weeks ago over a video call. As I mentioned to him, our chat took place almost one year to the day from when he last appeared on the Jambase podcast to discuss his cover of Fish's Twist for our Clusterflies project. Now, I've known Brennan since 2001, when the band came back to my house after an Umphrey show in Iowa City. So full disclosure, I'm still a fan, and I've continued seeing the band many, many times over the past 20 plus years. As a fan, I can say that the new album, Asking for a Friend, is excellent. And as you'll hear at the end of my interview with Brendan, he knows that I would tell him if I thought otherwise. We talked quite a bit about Brendan's songwriting process, and how it's evolved since he started writing songs back in the 90s. We talked about how his songwriting was influenced by the Why Not weekly live streams that he performed throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Brennan told me about being compelled to write Fenced In after the tragic killing of George Floyd by a Minnesota police officer. The song uses a particular expletive for the first time in any Humphreys original, and we talked about the decision to leave the word in the song, even if it offended Brennan's mom. We also talked about writing the album track Escape Plan, which came from an online auction for a fan who won the chance to collaborate on a new original song. The interview also covered the recording sessions that were held for Asking for a Friend, which took place in Chicago, Nashville, and at guitarist Jake Sinager's home studio in Michigan. Brendan also described enjoying the less stressful process of recording his vocal parts at home, which was done partly because of the pandemic. We also talked about Umphrey's recent trip to Iceland, that it turns out was as incredible as it looked. And Brendan mentioned the band might have another destination event in the works. I also tried to get Brendan to commit to recording an album of new music with his frequent partner on stage, Jennifer Hartswick of the Trey Anastasio Band. We'll see if that happens. Those are just a few of the topics we covered during our hour-long chat. So let's hear that interview with Brendan Bayless of Umphreys McGee, which we'll lead into with part of the Asking for a Friend opening track, I Don't Know What I Want. The thing 
with Brendan Bayless of Umphreys McGee. We are going to talk about the band's upcoming new album, Asking for a Friend, which comes out on July 1st. Uh, Brendan, welcome back to the Jam Bass Podcast. I looked it up. You were actually on an episode that published almost exactly one year ago because you did a cover of Fish's Twist for our Clusterflies project. Right, man, time flies. Isn't that amazing? I look. I was like, when was that? Like a couple months ago, and it was like it was April of last. It was April 29th, I think, of last year. So it's like almost a year ago to the date. It's a. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, welcome back, man. Two years ago. Yeah, it seems like forever. Uh, not not much has happened since then, though, right? <laughs> I've been doing nothing, idly twiddling my thumbs and not doing anything. Uh, well, one thing that you have done though is you recorded the new the new record. Um, it, it's it's I've been listening to it. It's tight and full sounding. It's focused. I feel like maybe there was a, a more of a focus on the songs themselves. They stand out uh, maybe beyond the typically impressive musicianship. Um, were you guys conscious of that when you were recording it? Were, were, was were the songs themselves like the actual song craft? Did that become more important when making the record? I think every time we go into a studio setting that slowly has become more and more of the whole point. And initially, I think when we were starting, we were trying to prove that we could play as many notes as possible and do acrobatic things Mm -hmm. and not making necessarily the choice that would serve a song. It would more serve a display of our potential. And I think over time, we started to see the studio as the opportunity to develop and craft an actual song, albeit three minutes or whatever it is. And the stage is the, is the place to, to play with it. So okay. I think now this time around, we basically started with a pile of, I don't know how many, and kind of go through it and through it and through it and narrow everything down to the top, I don't know, 15 that we got to. Mm-hmm. And we basically treated each one as its own entity. And there were some of them that were basically stripped down, nothing, you know. There's one song called How About Now that is maybe four chords and five verses, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I actually was surprised that everybody got into that one. Everyone liked it. You know, uh, I think everybody kind of appreciates now the song uh craft in the studio setting because we play so many shows that we'll always have time to kind of stretch them out there. Right. So, so was it a conscious decision at the same time to keep them tight? Cause I think the longest song is like five and a half minutes, which is somewhat atypical for you guys. Yeah, it was, I think, I don't know if it's a function of nowadays, people don't have the same attention span. Mm-hmm. You, you put out a 17 minute song. Are you really expecting people to have the time to sit down and not skip through and fast, you know? Right. At the same time, if the song was needed 17 minutes, we would do it. But I don't know, maybe it's a function of getting older, the stuff that I'm listening to, the stuff that everybody else is listening to. Um, but this is kind of where it landed. And so you guys went back or I shouldn't say went back, but you guys started the process shortly after the pandemic hit. Is, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so we 
flew to LA. I want to say it's the 13th of something in March. It was right before St. Patrick's day landed, turn my phone on. You're going home, which I was not, I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty excited about having a couple of weeks off. Right. You Vacation. Know? Yeah. Go home and hang out with my kids. And then it, I think the Monday after that, it kind of became evident that this was a serious thing that really affected our industry, you know, mass gatherings indoors. Yes. So I think we quickly realized we're not playing for a long time, but this is who we are and what we do. What should we do? Let's get to work on the new album. Mm -hmm. And luckily, you know, I'm in my basement now and I just built this new house that had all this space and gear. So I was pretty stoked to have the opportunity to, to start writing. And when I started, I started going through old ideas and found a bunch of old, old things I'd forgotten about that ended up, you know, making their appearance on this. Is that something you do regularly? Um, kind of pour through your old stuff and, and, and see if there's something to pull out. Yeah. So anytime I have a window, if it's three days or a week, I basically will start, you know, I'll get a, get a hard drive and <laughs> just pop it on and, and see, see what's there. You know, there might be something that came, you know, from a, a session from four years ago that I've totally forgotten about and maybe chord there or verse there, or something that I like. And then I'll try and basically find a way to um, have a head start. You know, and then so I'll have an old idea and then I'll try to start a brand new idea. So as soon as I get tired of one, I'll bounce to the other one. And it's a way of kind of getting new stuff done and finishing old things at the same time. And does one inform the other while you're doing that? I think one cleans the palate. You know, if, oh, I, okay. if I spend three hours on one thing and I start to think it sucks, if I, if I don't switch to a different idea, then I just stop. And you know, mm -hmm. self pity. But if right. I if I close that one and I switch to a different one, it's it's completely different, and I'm able to make progress on that, which gives me confidence to go back to the thing I was just shitting the bed on. You know, <laughs> you've been writing songs. You've been writing songs since the '90s. Has that process changed a lot for you over the years? Yeah. Um, initially, a yes and no. Initially, it was. A, you know, a, a notebook and a four track. Yeah. Set. The technology's changed. Yeah. Technology's changed, which makes it a lot easier. So now you can uh -huh. drum loop, you know, and just kind of play over it. Where back in 1990, whatever, it was a cassette, you know, and so yeah. worked on and so, you know, the cassette would get eaten. Mm -hmm. You know, you put it in your car or whatever. And yeah. It's all gone. It's not well, in the cloud. <laughs> no. So it's, it's, I think it's easier with all the tools, mm -hmm. uh, but we're still dealing with only 12 notes. So mathematically, you're still, right. you know, in the same way. And, and you're very lyrical in, in your writing. Um, how do you approach writing lyrics? Do they come before or after melodies? Are you, are you the type of guy that keeps a notebook still that has ideas? Do you, I know you sometimes, Oh, nice. I've got one of those around here too. Yeah. So the way I do it is like this, where 
this is this is an example of I don't know if you can see it, but probably sixteen verses. Yep. And he's showing me his notebook right now for for those listening. And of the sixteen, I circle four of them, and then those four make it. But then the other twelve that get dumped, they might I might steal a line from that for something else, you know, down the road or, you know, plagiarize myself. Yeah. Do Do you have to? Has it Has it been something of an evolution for you to be able to not be precious about those things to 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 be able to you know kind of make a judgment about yourself? Yes, uh, I think just through. Years and years and years and years and years of doing it and starting to realize that it almost doesn't matter what I think as long as I think it's good enough to share, you know? Okay. Yeah. So to your earlier question, it's always music first and lyrics are after, after the fact. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting to me because like, I don't know, a lot of your songs to me are very poetic and it seems like a very specific idea often at times too. And to me, that sounds, that's a bit surprising because it does seem like it's such a, a focused um, aspect of your songwriting as well. Well, so if to write a song for me, I can come up with a verse progression and a bass line and a guitar part very quickly. Okay. Then the next week, is walking around the house and just singing over that progression in my head until I find a melody that I think doesn't sound like something I've done or heard on the radio. Mm -hmm. And then once I have that, then I start working on the words and that takes the longest part. So if say it takes a week to write a song, 75% of it is the fine tuning and that's all the the lyrical stuff at the end. Um, Once the melody's there, then it kind of, you sing to that. So you know where the vowels are going to land and then you kind of craft around it. And then I get out the thesaurus and, you know, start to look for words that I think are cool. Do you do the mumble track thing? Yes. So we have, do you find that to help? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I do. And you know, there are times we have a song called intentions clear. That's about 15 years old. Yeah. Safety in numbers. Yes. And there's one part of it. Uh, There'll be no doubt. Intentions clear. We'll hide our thoughts behind me. That whole thing. I literally did a first take and I just hit record and just, that was improv freestyle. <laughs> and I was at the end of it. I was like, Holy shit. I listened back and I was like, I think I'm gonna keep that. I'm gonna keep that. I'm gonna keep that. I'm gonna keep, it was like, it was a like free, you know, mm-hmm. just grabbed it out of the air. Whereas a, lo- a lot of times I'll be freestyling something and it's just mumbling. And then I'll, I'll have a word, I don't know, a random word like construction. will be like mumbling and then the word construction. And then I'm like, okay, what rhymes with construction? And then right. I'll around that. You've mentioned consonants and vowels. And on the, the Talking Circles podcast, um, you mentioned that consonants are hard to sing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought that was a really interesting insight and i'm curious when did you learn that (laughs) well i mean i kind of realized it after a while because when you start writing songs it's easy to write about say day okay play you know right and after 10 years you start to think okay i've used that word i've used that word 
So then you try to think of different ways to use that vowel because, I mean, a, a, a consonant is like, there's no yeah. air moving. It's almost stopping of it. Sure. So I, I think it's just a slow realization that um, basically you're singing A-E-I-O-U in some kind of capacity. You can't really sing ch. Yeah. yeah. You know? So I think slowly over time realizing that um, it's really, a, what's that, five things that you can kind of get away with and then a combination of, you know, bleeding A into E. And I don't know. And then just uh, trial and error, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I could write a song that was all consonants. Change. At some point, you got to get a vowel. Just repeat front porch over and over. <laughs> Uh, so you know you you did the um, the why not solo live streams during the pandemic, and I'm sure part of that time overlapped with when you were writing some of these songs. Did that experience inform your songwriting? Yes, uh, I going into acoustic guitar campfire mode uh-huh. as long as I did. Yeah. Uh, I real, you know, it was just me playing and then my wife encouraging me to do it again. And so I started listening to more singer songwriter stuff to try and find new songs for the next episode. Right. You were doing lots of covers. Yeah. I'm listening yeah. to James Taylor and Cat Stevens and just old classic stuff. And, you know, you're a product of your environment. So I didn't even really think about it until you mentioned it, but I, I essentially spent a year listening to that kind of music so Mm -hmm. that you know influences what your output is so there's more acoustic stuff on this than has been in the past probably because of that yeah like not necessarily straight acoustic songs but acoustic guitars adding to the mix Mm -hmm. just uh, i mean like the song i mentioned earlier how about now is i don't that's acoustic that's acoustic, and I don't think it would have come out. It wouldn't come out of me if I wasn't, because I had basically five acoustic guitars tuned up in different rooms of the house, just so I could just randomly. And I remember that came from one night. I'd put the kids down. It was midnight, and I I sat down at the couch because it was quiet, and I just started playing that progression, and I recorded on my iPhone, and forgot about it. Mm-hmm. A couple months later, it was like. I don't even remember doing this. Thank God. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And during those live streams, at times you played the piano. Do you use the piano for songwriting at all? Sometimes. Uh, sometimes I'll do it to try and find a melody. You know, I know where my vo- voice will crack. I know where my range is. Uh-huh. So sometimes if I know, you know, G sharp. Don't go over there. <laughs> you need to really go to sleep next So sometimes I'll sit down at the piano and just I can kind of be more random with things because it's not as uh, com- you know comfortable to me. So the uh-huh. p- the piano will give me an opportunity to try out melodies. Um, I did write a song called "Bad Friday" on a on a keyboard, but yeah, usually it's it's more of a. I don't know. I, I started playing piano during the why not because I was, you know, reading up on these acoustic things and Neil Young 
you know, was talking about when he does his his solo stuff, he, he likes to break it up by doing a piano song in the middle of it to kind of mix that, it. I've, I, Trey Anastasio told that story uh, oh. at a, at, on his uh, acoustic tour in 1999. I saw that show in Madison, Wisconsin, and he, he said that he saw Neil at Farm Aid and he was about to do his first acoustic run and he's like, do you got any advice? And, he was, and Neil said, play the piano or something. The audience gets bored. <laughs> Yeah. I guess if you're sitting there watching a live stream, it helps to have a, have them moving around a little bit. <laughs> Part about that is I'm not good at it. So if I got it in my head that I wanted to play an Elton Johnson, I would have to spend hours playing it over and over and over again. And then I'd be drunk by the time we did it. <laughs> you know, it was for me, it was a challenge, you know, I didn't know how long this was going to last and I might as well mm-hmm. try and develop a new skill. Well, I really enjoyed those wine knots. They were uh, something to look forward to every week and it definitely helped scratch that live music itch. And um, it, it brought a sense of community too. you know, it's, it felt like the same people were coming around each week and um, I, I, just, I guess, thanks man. Like, honestly, like I, I really, it, it meant a lot that you kept doing that. I appreciate that. Cause there were definitely a lot of times I didn't want to. Um, yeah. If I watched the replay from the week before it was, Oh man, that was bad. Let's take the week off. And then I'd get to Thursday or something. And then I have friends like texting, like, well, just do it. You know, we're all locked in our house, you know? So it just yeah. became something that was supposed to be a one-time thing. That, um, turned into something that people actually enjoyed, I think, you know, and, and yeah, it was something to look forward to, you know, it was something that we knew that you knew you could kind of finish your week with and, and let, you know, not have to worry about the, all the shit that was happening outside our walls during that time. It was nice. Good. Thank you. Um, there's a fish tribute album coming out to help everybody at jam base. And they asked me to do this. And uh, I said no a couple times. And then Mickle uh, emailed me with some Catholic guilt. I don't even know if he's Catholic. But anyway, so I I did this. And uh, the version that's on the album coming out is going to sound way better because Mike Racky um, plays pedal steel on it. And he's like shining all over it. So just imagine some shining Racky. I spoke your name for many days, pronouncing it in several ways, and moving letters on.
Um, I also wanted to ask you about, you mentioned on that Talking Circles podcast that you read Jeff Tweedy's book about songwriting, which I've read too, and I, I found it pretty fascinating. Um, is there any one thing that you took from that book that you could say you, you really employed in your own songwriting? Yeah. So I haven't read, he wrote a book called How to Write a Song. I haven't read that uh -huh. one. Okay. I read the one, I think it's called Let's Hurry Up and Go So We Can Get Back. Yeah, his more like the biography. I read that too. Yeah, that, they're both great books. So in it, in the middle of it, he starts talking about how he wrote, he tried to make a point of 20 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. Every single day, 20 minutes. And, and that hit me like a ton of bricks. I'll take weeks at a time where I don't do anything. And then when I sit down to do something, there's nothing coming up. Why isn't this, you know, what am I doing wrong? And, and I think doing, doing it constantly, it, it sets your brain up. It sets everything up to be easier to get over. Just get the motor running. So I, I stole, I didn't steal. I, I, that left a big impression on me, the, the constant. And it made me realize, okay, he's one of my favorite songwriters that's currently doing it but he's really doing it every day. And that's how, that's how he gets all this good stuff. It's not like you just sit down and write three songs and they're all great. Right. Yeah. He's uh, I was definitely impressed by his sort of working at, you know, workman at, uh, approach to it. You know, like he, he, he definitely takes songwriting as something that you do and can do every day. And it doesn't have to be just when the muse arrives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this in the podcast. Maybe I didn't, but Tom Robbins is my favorite author. And I read an interview where he said he sits down every day at his desk, nine to noon or noon to three or something. Anyway, it was the same time every single day. And he said he does that so that way the muse knows where to find him. Oh, that's cool. I thought that was a cool way. I like that. Yeah. Do, do you find you then the muse still hits you? Yeah. Like, it, do you have those instances where you do sit down though and and it, and everything comes out? I wish I did more frequently. There's definitely, there's, there's, there's times where it takes years to finish something and there's times where it takes a couple of days. Yeah. For me, the, the feeling is the same at the end. It's just a relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. It's this dangling thing in the back of my mind that, you're 80% there, but you're not there. It's like homework. You got to finish it. It's so kind of along those lines, when, when say like Jake or, or Joel or one of the other guys in the band presents a new song, what do you do then to figure out what your part is? Well, so if Jake sends me something that he's already got the vocals on, mm -hmm. I pretty much, you know, try and figure out a, a guitar part that I can sneak in that is uh, adding to it, but not doubling it, you know. Complimenting. Yes. Yeah. And if he sends me something that, that doesn't have vocals at all, then I put it on my phone and I'll just walk around my neighborhood and just kind of listen to it on repeat and kind of hum freestyle until I think I find a melody. And then as soon as that happens, then I start the whole sit down and, and that, 
It's weird because I'll do, there's this website called rhymezone.com. Okay. Love it. You put in a word like uh, glass and hit near rhyme and then a list like flask or, ta- you know, task sure. or not glass. So the, uh, then uh, this whole pile of words that are close that I never would have thought of. And then I'll, I'll pick 10 of those and try and finish a line to connect to each one of those. Kind of like that's that's kind of like Tweety though in his songwriting book. That's one of the exercises that he uh, that he describes doing, like putting words in the line and drawing lines to match them. (laughs) That's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Do your neighbors ever look at you funny when you're walking around the neighborhood humming to yourself? Do they expect it at this point? (laughs) Sure, they do. I just it's weird because if I'm getting the zone, I have my headphones on, and I'm, I'm probably saying shit out loud that just sounds like mumbling yeah i think i'm you know on a a very strange conference call (laughs) no i I try not to think what they think because that would just get in the way i mean that's got to be your approach to your making music in general right yeah for me um i'm starting to realize more and more and more that it doesn't matter as much what I think because there are things that I don't like that people like, and there are things that I think are fantastic that people don't like. Right. And there's no way of really knowing until you just put it out there. Yeah, you got to put it out there. Mm-hmm. You, how often does Jake send you a track that doesn't have vocals? A lot. Really? A lot. Yeah. A lot of the stuff on this record Pure Saturation, New Wings. Um, I'd have to look at a song list to see what is on it. Uh, what about Dayville Monarchy? That's all Jake. That's all Jake. That's That was the one song that came off to me as being a Jake tune, for sure. Yeah, that he sent that to all of us, and it was pretty much there. Uh, the, the lyrics he had to finish in the studio. but And then Joel added, I think, a vocal the vocal ooh parts in the middle. But that's an example of one that's pretty much in the can already. Remember when life was high Systematic schemes Erased from our dreaming Search for your fear in the street So when you're adding vocals and, and coming up with lyrics, is there, is there a dialogue between you and Jake when you're doing that? Or does he leave that up to you? He, you know, it's weird because I think he trusts me enough and he will tell me if it's too busy or it's not working. A lot of times I'll send him something 
back and be like, here's my first take of, you know, let me know what you think. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, he's like done great. Other times he'll be like, that's a little wordy there, you know, maybe break up this line and make it more syncopated or, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it, over, you know, 20 years of doing it, I think we both trust uh, each other enough to get out of the way. If somebody's really firm in an idea, sometimes I'll send him something and he's not thrilled about it. And then I don't, I still, I, I, I won't change it. Cause I, I really like it. Yeah. And then years go by and it, it's all good. Cause it's, that's what it is. Is there similar dialogue when you present lyrics to other band members for your songs? For, for, you know, your songs, I use air quotes there. Uh, it's more of, I will send them because typically for me, it's not finished until we play it live or record it in the studio. So until that moment, it's still got the, uh, I don't know, tinkering options. Right. So sure. I'll send them something and just say, let me know if you think it's cool or let me know if this is super lame. There's one song on this called Fenced In. And at the end of the song, I use the word motherfucker. Yes. Which I've never used. And when we were doing it in the studio, I was, I was like, man, my mom's going to hear this. <laughs> Kid. Always worried about mom. <laughs> and right now. And uh, I, I, I said something to the effect of we, we got to figure out a cooler way to say this without saying that word and everybody everybody was like 100% no you have to stay that's cool pony was said something to the effect of you're in your 40s your mom can deal with the fact that you're you're using you know foul language catholic guilt right (laughs) but that that song in the essay that David Frick wrote about it, he mentioned that you were compelled to write that song after the, the George Floyd death and, and the protests that came after it. Was that something important to you to address? You know, initially I wanted to stay away from it. I thought that, you know, it's, it's the musician's job to distract, to give people three hours to forget about the world's problems and just, you know, go into a, a, a place of, you know, serenity. And then when they finish listening to it, they can go back and turn the news on and go back to, holy shit, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, it's such, it was such a touchy, fiery, you know, you, you're watching our whole country basically get divided over this. Yeah. So part of me was afraid to go there um, because it's, how do you, how do you say it? How do you say it gracefully? How do you do it in a way that even if people don't agree with you, they'll still, you know, listen to it and not have it turn into this huge thing and, and not be offended exactly, or upset or disappointed or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't want to touch the subject because I didn't know how to without sounding preachy. And Ben Factor, our light guy, called me and we talked for 30 minutes or something. And he was, he was asking me to 
to do something about it. Basically, he kind of put me on the spot. He said, "Yeah." He said, "Like it or not, people listen to you, and you you might not want this responsibility, but you have this opportunity to say something, and it. I think you should." And I was like, "God damn it, Ben!" <laughs> All right, <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I think you achieved what you set out to do, at least from my vantage point. You know, obviously it's not going to resonate the same with everyone, but I think that uh, the overall point you were trying to make landed. And I'm, I'm, I'm for one glad you did because I agree there is that separation to some degree, but at the same time, I think Ben's right that like we can't really, we can't pretend that this stuff isn't happening even, even within those three hours of a show, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was trying to figure out a way to be delicate. There's a line in that song. Uh, we'll all wait to be seated until the this lie is defeated. And that is in me. That's just me making a Rosa Parks reference, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and I was trying to do it subtly without saying back of the bus. or something. Right. And then the, the kicker of the song is the last line is hate is a motherfucker. What I can do without. And I was trying to think of what is the the worst thing I can say about hate, you know, how do I explain how much I hate hate? <laughs> yeah. That's the worst thing I could possibly, you know, if, I don't even know if you can play it on the radio. So, well, it, it definitely is a, a punctuation to that song and it really drives home. I think the message that you were trying to deliver and if it offends your mom, I think it was worth it. <laughs> you said that. <laughs> You know, the other song I really wanted to ask about is A Scapegoat. Um, that was the one that you guys did the Got Your Song Right Here eBay auction. Mm -hmm. And uh, a fan paid for the right to have you guys write a song. Um, sure. So, so how did that happen? How, did, how was that experience for you and how did it play out? When it came up, my first thought was, oh, we really want to do this. You know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not really good at this kind of thing. We tried this once before and I got bit really bad. And I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 30 second jingle for a tourism commercial. That's yeah. And I was, so I didn't want to touch it. And then, you know, I think, you know, it was maybe a, a just a, a way of, you know, management was trying to figure out how do we pull in some income because sure. not making anything. So when it first came up, I was, did not want to do it. And then when I ended up, Shua called me and basically told me, we talked for uh, 30 minutes about some, what he wanted, the message. She was the, the person that won the auction? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And he basically was saying, you know, I want a, I want a song that is talking about all the old friends that you you grow apart from and you might have different political beliefs and all these things that you think you're so different now that you're, it's not even worth reconnecting, but you know, I want, I want something that, you know, makes everybody, you know, want to dance, but also kind of look past all our differences to see that we're still the same old friends that we used to be. And so after talking to him for a while, I started to think, okay, well, well we can try it. And it turned out way better than I expected. 
So. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't stick out as like being different. You know, it it it, it messages meshes with the rest of the the songs on the album, and I think that's pretty interesting because it it could have been something that wasn't familiar. You know, that wasn't. Um, typical of what you guys do but i think you guys were able to 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 take what he gave you and then make it your own yeah when it when we did it in my mind there was no thought of including it on a new Humphreys record i thought I, I was looking at it this is its own thing for this one specific you know mm -hmm. and when we were doing it with everything else then we started kind of listening to it in the context of all the other songs it seemed seemed like it fit in there it also you know there's not there's not many you know fist pumping you know dance vibe songs on the on the album so it it helped scratch that edge and has has shua heard the song yeah yeah and he called me just to tell me that he was really 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 pleased with the outcome that like, i think i would we, imagine we did better than he was expecting. So when you guys were setting out to make the album, did you, was it intended to make an album album or were you just trying to lay down some new tracks? Well, we didn't have an opportunity to do a traditional, let's go to a studio and record. It was three days at Boondock when we did the, uh, that's Jake's studio in Niles, Michigan, right? Mm -hmm. And then it was three days in Nashville. And hey, where was that? Well, we did Nashville twice. Okay. Um, what, we put out a song called Suck City the year before. And when we mm -hmm. did that session, we recorded Dayville, Monarchy, and the song, what's it called? Oh, wait. Is it always October? Yes, that one, which is my favorite. I love that tune too. Yeah. The irony of that song is I was writing it right uh, before COVID. It's so the lyrics. That's are, funny because um, that is like a COVID song. <laughs> it sounds like. Well, it's weird because the the lyrics are about how it's basically the, my kid saying, "Papa's gonna go, Mama's gonna stay. He'll be coming back on Monday." Mm -hmm. It's basically about go play some gigs. I got to go to work. I'll be back yeah. soon. And then COVID hit. <laughs> it's, it's completely the opposite. But so, yeah, that was, that was Nashville. And then we did um, three days in Chicago at our warehouse at Ecto, a place we run all our gear. So we basically only had nine days. So we kind of went into it more of the mindset. Let's get as much done as we can. And then after after that, we'll see what we can do. Maybe it's an EP or four songs or one a month and we just do singles. And, and then once we kind of finished it, nobody could vote on the bottom three. There was no consensus about what the, the three weakest songs were, uh -huh. which I kind of was surprised about. It's usually easy to figure out, you know, what's not the best. And everybody liked different things so we decided to put it all out and was it also a conscious decision during that time to keep these songs back and not play them live yes uh partially because they weren't finished okay 
Um, I did. I ended up recording a bunch of the vocals here. I, I, all the vocals. Oh, really? Yeah. Except uh, I did some harmonies, I think, in Dayville that were in. Anyway, all my vocals I did in my, my basement in my pajamas. Would, <laughs> I didn't finish until December or January, I want to say. Of this no, year? No, no, no. It was maybe November. Okay. Yeah, because we had mixes by Christmas. But so yeah, it wasn't really finished until it had to be. I'm I'm I I don't work well unless there's a deadline. Because I can always yeah. put it off and put it off and put it off until I'm the same way. Do you was was recording at home easy for you? I love recording it. Uh, specifically vocals. Was that easy for you? Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to do vocals because especially in a studio because you're doing it and then you're looking through a glass wall and you mm-hmm. see a bunch of people and half the time they're laughing or telling fart jokes or whatever. And in your mind, you're thinking, Oh, that I must've, are they laughing at me Right in, in your head? Because there's people watching and then you, eh, maybe I shouldn't do this in your house. You know, it's a lot easier. We did this, uh, Kevin came over, Kevin Browning, and we did this interface with Greg Majors, who was recording everything. Mm-hmm. So in Nashville, basically on a FaceTime, it was a, a super high end. So that it was quick enough that it was almost as if you were in the room next door. No delay. Yeah. So it was basically me, Kevin and Greg. So I, I only had to worry about two people's opinions. And Greg's really good at being honest with me. Like the first time we ever recorded something, I'd never met him or never really worked with him on vocals. And I did a pass of something. He was like, okay, that's great. Now do it again. Like you have balls. (laughs) Oh, we're going to get along. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Friend. (laughs) It's, um, it's, it's nerve wracking for me. So I basically defer to whoever I'm working with to they're like, should we do another one? And I'll, I'll just ask them. You tell me when you think I've gotten it. Because I, my confidence level is not there. Uh-huh. You're asking me, we're done right now. But <laughs> I nailed it. <laughs> uh, you know the song, the 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 first single. I don't know what I want. Um, also, hiccups. The both those songs have you singing in in a very fairly high register. Um, mm. it, that is that new for you? Well, I mean, I was saying earlier, I know my range. Um, when I was 18, 19, 20, uh, uh, an A note was simple. You didn't even yeah. think about it. And then the older and older you get, the things that you used to be able to do as a child, <laughs> younger version become more uh, difficult. So there was definitely a point when I was doing hiccup. There's a da, 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 da. there's a line where it goes up to an A, and I remember thinking to myself, "Shit, I'm gonna have to do this on stage. This is gonna be hard." But it sounds like that's the right musical choice, so we should just do it. And I should just mm-hmm. throw a pair and deal with it. Get some ball, sing it like you have some balls, <laughs> or I guess What's not. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if the yeah. So was it, did it come naturally then for you once you were 
up in that high range? Well, it's funny because you only get a couple passes and, and we're working in these small bursts. So I'm telling them, okay, if you want me to do this, let's do this at the end of the session. Because if I, if I do it seven or eight times, I'm not going to, I'm going to blow this out. Mm-hmm. Be able to get the other stuff done. Right. So it becomes kind of a, uh, you know, banging out a bunch of things and then, okay, let's, let's get the challenging stuff. But then again, it was easier because I was in my pajamas in my basement and I had my back to the two guys that I was working with. So I couldn't even see the reaction. So is that an approach you think you might try again? I'd love to. It's, it's just, it's, it's easier. I think on everybody because you're not spending studio time to back and realize, Oh shit, we, we got to do it again. Whereas here it's like, if you get it, the, the pressure's off, which makes it easier to get done, you know? But does the lack of pressure ever make it harder to kind of get in the right mind space though, too? Not for me. Not for you. Yeah. Some, some guys, some of the guys in the, in the band love the studio. And for me, it's, it, it's, it's, it's always so permanent. And I'm always in my head thinking I can do this better. I can do this better. I don't want to waste anyone else's time and do five more takes. They all got their parts. So I just got to deal with what I did. So it is easier here, but that's just for me and doing my parts. You can't, you need to all be together to kind of get the vibe. Right. So we always start with everybody in a room, get the drum take. Hopefully, you know, the, the bass is usually done. You know, if we do two or three passes, usually there's enough of a skeleton there that we can then scatter and finish. Uh, individually at home. And while you guys are recording, you mentioned, you know, worrying about having to sing a song live. Are you also making other considerations about playing it live? Uh, yes, but it's more of, we don't need to do a jam here. We can do that when we play it live. It's more of, is this the song? Let's keep the song tight. Yeah. And then we can take it out for a ride later. And then also, you know, you mentioned like you, you kind of have to accept it. Uh, has there ever been an, uh, an instance where, you know, you've recorded a song and then played it live and wanted to go back and change maybe what you did recording it? Because there is such a permanence with, with a, a studio cut. And, and when you play, you guys play so many live gigs that like, you know, if you do something, you don't want, if you have a bad gig, you could, you could brush it off with the next show. Mm-hmm. Is that something, an obstacle for you guys while you're re- recording? Yeah. Uh, it's weird because it, I can't really think of a specific example at this very second, but I know that there's been times where we've played a song, maybe plunger, something like that. Mm-hmm. 
where we did it pretty quickly, wrote it and recorded it and didn't get the benefit of just taking it out, you know, and playing it over and over again and seeing. And I feel as if, um, if we recorded that in the studio now, it would be better. I think I'm playing it a little, definitely with more, I know what it is now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, so do you ever, so I, does that ever factor in though, into not playing the songs live first? No, I think it's more of, we decided to, I, I'm a, you know, when I was a kid, not too long ago, and I went to go to the record store to buy a new album. It was like Christmas morning, you know, all this stuff. So I, I, for me, I, I, I like the idea of here is a, you know, a bunch of stuff, which unfortunately for us right now, we're not doing because we're putting out a single here and a single there and a single there. But hopefully by the time it finally comes out, it feels like it's never going to come out. But by the time it does, there's still, I think seven songs that no one will have heard more than half. Yeah. I mean, there's 14 songs on the record. Like that's a lot of new tunes, man. Oh, they're 14, 14. Oh yeah. Okay. Then yeah, they'll, I think we're putting out four or five before you got three out so far. It's just, it feels like it's never coming out. I thought we were going <laughs> to put it out in January and then it was in February and it's March and it's okay. You know, that was one thing I wanted to ask you about that as sort of the, the band da- dynamics and, and coming to a consensus on things. Like you mentioned before, you guys couldn't figure out the bottom three songs. Um, what about like track sequencing or, or song titles or the album title? How do you guys work through that now that you guys have been a band for this long? Uh, well, song titles for this one, you know... I tried to pull from either a lyric or referencing a lyric, you know? So Mm -hmm. I, I sent a list to everybody of, okay, track one, here's three ideas for a song title. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's interesting. Kind of vote on it. Like always October, you know, I don't even know how it landed there. Um, It was going to be something else. The, the the working title was Song Finn, and I was so used to seeing Song Finn on the file that I, I in my mind, I was like, let's just call it Song Finn. But it's not as so. Anyway, it's it's more of a someone will put together a list of options, and then we'll kind of vote, and then you know see you know what everybody kind of overlaps with, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of it, a lot of the sequencing. I deferred to Kevin and Greg, you know, on their, because it's weird for me. I'm so invested in it that it's, it's probably better for me to take a step back. So Greg, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, his version and Kevin sent his version and I'd kind of look at both of those and, you know, everybody would chime in on what, you know, they thought, um, so it's it's very much a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until it gets ironed out. It's not someone just saying here. You know, it's it's democratic yeah. almost to a flaw because it takes a long time. Well, yeah, I'm sure that that's got, you know, so many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, that at, at some point you have to have some sort of process to to 
come to a final solution. Yeah. And then when this, when this is happening, there's some, sometimes where, you know, if someone is okay with it, they basically sign off on it, you know? Right. So it was, you know, I, uh, sequencing it's, it's hard because I feel like that can always be, you could be, you could be doing it wrong. I mean, not, no, no idea. Yeah. It's just, right. it's, it's your gut. And then, you know, six years later, you might listen back and say, Oh man, I really wish we put four on two spot and two spot down to 11, but it's too late. Well, then you can just make a playlist in Spotify <laughs> and make it however you want. Right. It's kind of thinking about it, you know, as a vinyl. Right. As a piece, you know, what's what goes on side B, you know, what starts side B. Right. Um, and then also, you know, you recorded it in all these different sessions. Was, was that, was it like Greg and, and Kevin that, that helped so that there was a continuity of sound across all the different sessions? Was that, was that a difficult thing? And then also with like the home recording and all that, is that something that they, they make happen or do you guys have a role in that too? Greg, Greg was at every session. Okay. So basically I think of this whole record as he, he was the filter. Got it. Okay. He, he, he was able to, which I, I didn't know how we were going to pull it off. We recorded drums in Jake's studio. And then we recorded drums in this huge cavernous warehouse. Right. Completely two different, you know, naturally yeah. vibes. But he, you know, he's, he's really good at what he does. And he was able to kind of contain it all to, to have this continuity that, you know, Greg Majors is a pimp. So I basically trust him and get out of the way and let him tell me what I need to do to make or not to do. <laughs> so he's, he, you guys have worked with him for a long time now, right? Yeah, we started working with him um, and Manny Sanchez uh, years and years ago. And then we did Zonky and I pretty much did all my stuff with Greg. Did and Greg work at that studio that was on Clybourne? Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I used to live like three doors down from there. My first apartment in Chicago was literally like three doors down from that place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> he was there and he had a spot above this Taco Burrito Palace on uh, <laughs> Addison. And uh, now he lives in Nashville. So it's good for him because Chris lives there. So he was able to do a lot of the drum edits with Chris. Oh, okay. So Chris could, you know, there the two of them could figure out how to kind of make it all feel close as far as, you know, sound. sound. And we talked about, you're going to be playing these songs live eventually. Have you guys started kind of rehearsing them for, for the live stage yet? No, no. <laughs> Well, I guess, I guess if you're not going to play them until after the record comes out that you, you still have a few more months. Yeah. You know, we, we put out the second single small strides right before we did Aspen and we all flew to Aspen. It was all rental gear. So Joel didn't even have the keyboards. Oh, wow. We, we physically couldn't play it. So we couldn't even start practicing it. And then the next gig was Iceland. We flew there all, you know, backline gear. So, yeah. we, even, you know, 
So we haven't really had an opportunity to be in the same room to start working on it, which reminds me we need to start working on that. <laughs> Glad I'm here to help, Brendan. I'm here. I'm, get to it. Get that's that right. We're talking about working, you know, get that workman's mentality. <laughs> Everything you gotta say, I'll take it. It's anything you wanna pray. Anything you wanna do. Believe me when I tell you that I want it to. You know that I'll be alright. Everything's so well timed. You really shouldn't be so surprised. If it's real, then why do any other rules apply? You really couldn't see a smaller stride. You mentioned Iceland. How awesome was that? It was as cool as you think it is. Um, it looked fucking incredible, man. Uh, it felt it felt kind of 2006, the first time we played Amsterdam, and mm-hmm. old friends that used to come to concerts in college that you haven't seen in forever, bucket list kind of events. So they get on the plane. Iceland was like that. You know, I'm walking That's down cool. the street and I look and I see friends from five years ago that I, or ten years ago or fifteen years ago sitting at a bar. And then I, you know, walk around the corner and then two other people walk around the corner. So it was almost like a small version of a takeover. There's only 350,000 people on the whole island. Right. And 300 of them, 300,000 live in Reykjavik. And here come 1,800 Americans. That are all there for one reason. Yeah, it felt special. And then the room was super cool. I walked in the first time and I was, I I laughed. I was like, (laughs) they brought us here. You belong here, but uh, we pulled it off. And it had to have felt pretty incredible just to have pulled it off, considering all the obstacles that went into it, right? Yeah, it, it was announced and then canceled and then pushed back. And then two years later, and uh, the whole just are people willing to get on an airplane and fly to a foreign country? You know, part of me in the back of my mind was a little concerned about. What happens, you know, we, a bunch of us have children. If we get stuck over here for two weeks, yeah. Yeah. that would be really uh, difficult. You got to have a plan B. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or just so, do it. <laughs> so two questions. Are you going back to Iceland? And I, you think I, so? I certainly hope so. And I'd like to do it when it's in the summer because I think we'd be enjoying more of the, the countryside. Well, if you do, I will, I will be there this time. And if not Iceland, what's the next destination that you would like to play? I want to go to Hawaii, but you know, yes, we all have Kauai. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, There's, there's rumble. We're talking about another destination event. I don't think I'm, I'm at Liberty to fair enough to the uh, listeners right now, but. So it, it is somewhere cool that I think a lot of there's, we're looking at three different things, trying to figure out what makes the most sense. It's a, a country we've never been to. So Excellent. very exciting. That. And you have a, a gig. Is it tomorrow with Jennifer? I have a gig with Jen at uh, the cubby bear tomorrow. The good old cubby bear. And then we're actually playing a, 
a private party on Friday. And Ooh. it's Joel on keys, Pony on bass, Andy Farrag on drums, and Jen singing. And we're calling the group the Heartless Bastards. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So I want to know, when are you and Jennifer going to make an album? It's funny because we talked about, you know, this project we're doing and she was like, you know, we should make a rule that we just don't have, we don't, we just do other people's songs. And I thought about that. I was like, that's cool because there's no pressure to write music and there's yeah, tons of songs to learn. And then we started doing these gigs and she's got this ability to just in the middle of the show, just talk shit. <laughs> becomes this whole other thing. And the only other person I had that relationship with was Jeff Austin. Right. So then it started to kind of, it's in the back of my mind, like maybe, maybe I, sh it's on me to kind of, if I could write one song for her and maybe start, start that, but get the ball rolling. Get the ball rolling. But I'd love to hear it, man. I, and honestly, it was, I, I asked because I love 30 DB. I love what you did with Jeff. I'm sorry for the loss of your friend. Um, but I do see that sort of camaraderie with Jen and you. And you guys have this special bond that is really beautiful to see when you guys are making music together. And I would love to see what you guys could do if you created something new. Yeah, it's weird because I, I wouldn't know if I would write something serious or something a ballady or something tenacious D kielbasa sausage style. All, all the above, all the above, <laughs> and do it in one song. That would be that would be what I would have told you if I won the auction. <laughs> that would have been my request. <laughs> I like it, man. Challenge. Well, thank you for your time today, Brendan. I I think I've taken too much of your time potentially, but uh, I could talk to you all day, man. It's uh, it's good to see you again. Um. Stay safe out there. Uh, you got some. Sh you got plenty of shows coming up. We got summer camp coming up. You're touring with Bisco again. That should be debaucherous, right? I'm hoping we still need to get them back for a prank they pulled on us in 2006. Oh shit, that's uh, that's long, long overdue. Then, huh? I don't know if you heard what the prank was. Uh, I you'll have to remind me. I potentially did. It was a song called Words, which is kind of a serious, you know. Yeah. I have my eyes closed. I'm singing the part about one of our friends who passed away. Sure. And they lower a giant dildo from the scaffolding. <laughs> and I'm like, my eyes are closed and I'm singing and I start to hear people laughing. And I get in my head like, oh man, we just, maybe we should be playing this. And I look up and there's a dildo like uh, uh, coming to get me. That's wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's a, I, honestly, I was, I was kind of impressed. I was like, that, that's pretty sweet. Now we're just going to have to get them back. And some, some equal, but not overbearing, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe more kid friendly. Uh, no. See. Okay. All right. <laughs> bring the kids, bring the kids. Definitely make sure you check out those shows this summer. It sounds like it's going to be exciting. Yes. We'll teach your kids a thing or two that they shouldn't learn from a, <laughs> for a while. <laughs> that's, that's what you've been doing for over 20 years now, Bryn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'll let you get going. Um, thanks again. Humphreys McGee, Asking for a Friend. It comes out July 1st. It's a really great record, man. And I think it's a, 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 a 
a good addition to to your you guys's catalog and i think fans are gonna dig it and uh you should definitely be proud of what you guys did man uh, thank you enough man i can't you know thank you enough it's uh i appreciate it it's good to see you good to hear your voice yeah you too bud I like it thanks man you would you would tell me if you didn't you'd be in. oh i would i would definitely yeah yeah i don't i don't like holding things back from you no. <laughs> <laughs> all right man have a good one. Stay Take care. Of- yep. Stay out of trouble. Face me forward. Lean my direction towards the door with you behind me. Tomorrow, don't remind me how. There's so much left I know. There's so much left undone. the end of this episode of the jam based podcast thanks to all of you out there for listening come back next week for another fun interview thanks to brendan for chatting with me be on the lookout for the new umphreys mcgee album asking for a friend when it arrives on july 1st thanks to our sponsors section 119 and thanks as always to jake alexander for help putting together the episode we'll be back next week so in the meantime stay safe out there and go see live music